Welcome to this episode of Come Follow Me, a Disciple's Journey. This episode, uh, we'll discuss sections 25 and 26. Section 25, given to Emma Smith. Um, this is one that there is actually quite a bit, and there's tons that are, it's, I mean, so many quotes from leaders of the church about this section and things about this section. And so trying to uh, kind of distill it down into something manageable. Uh, it's a little bit of a challenge. I'll do my best. Um, let's start with section four, or section four, verse four. The Lord addresses Emma about murmuring. And the reason I want to start, start here is this is kind of the, the background context a little bit of this section. Emma and Joseph have been married for a little over a year at this point. Um, she was someone who came from a reputable family. She basically left her family uh, behind to marry Joseph. Um, they did end up making a deal with her dad to buy some land, and he did do some uh, protection of them when there was some persecution in the area, if you recall, but that's when they ended up having to leave and go to the Whitmer's house because he couldn't do that anymore. So, like, there was... But the, the relationship there was strained, and she left like that. That was definitely an issue. There was sacrifices made on her part to even be with Joseph, let alone the future that they had together. The death of multiple children, uh, moving from place to place, watching her husband be beaten and persecuted and arrested time after time. Um, and that, that's all that was all coming, but this, this, the, the storm was already brewing, as it were, in her life. And um, all the while, she wasn't a witness of the Book of Mormon. Right? She didn't see the year, month, thumb, and use it, and whatever. Right? Like she had felt the Book of Mormon, uh, the plates through a sheet, a cloth. But you know, I think the normal, natural human thing to do would be at times to say, "Why? Why can't I? Like, no, why can't I?" And so the Lord is just saying to her, "Don't murmur." You are an elect lady, meaning you are called to a specific work. I know you. That's not your calling. But I, I will confirm your faith in another way. That's the context of section 25, is the Lord speaking to Emma to, to confirm her faith. Like he had for for Oliver and for Martin and for Joseph Knight Sr. and for Joseph Smith Sr. and for Hiram, Right? The Lord is now speaking to Emma, and as He does in other ver- in other uh, sections, He calls her by name because He knows her. Um, Sister Elaine S. Dalton, in a talk called "He Knows Your He Knows You by Name," said, "There came a voice unto me saying, Enos, thy sins are forgiven thee, and thou shalt be blessed." Moses not only prayed, but also talked to God face to face. And God said to Moses, I have a work for thee, Moses, my son. The Lord knew Jacob's name and changed it to Israel to more accurately reflect his mission on earth. Similarly, he changed the names of Paul and Abraham and Sarah. In the Doctrine and Covenants, section 25, Emma Smith has given a blessing for her comfort and guidance in life. The Lord begins by saying, Hearken unto the voice of the Lord your, your God, while I speak unto you, Emma, my daughter. You may not have heard the Lord call you by name, but he knows each and every one of you by name. Elder Nile Maxwell said, I testify to you that God has known you individually for a long time. He has loved you for a long, long time. He not only knows you, the names of all the stars, he knows your names and all your heartaches and your joys. And 
I wanted to start there with this background and context and then move into to this, you know, that he knows Emma and he knew Emma and he knows you because if you get nothing else out of this, think of that, that there are these things that are specific to Emma. But then it's interesting because at the end of the section he says that uh, this is my voice unto all. Okay, so what does that mean? I thought it was just to Emma. Well, there are things that we can learn from this. But as you read this, remember who Emma is. Remember the sacrifices she has made. Remember who the Lord is speaking to when it was revealed. And then maybe read it again, thinking, "All right, this is a, this is unto me because I'm I am all right. I am part of the all." And then see what you get. But in reading those two different ways, I think that there's there's uh, some things to gain. The Lord is speaking to Emma in her time and her 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 affliction. He gives her a job. He gives her a job to put together uh, hymns for the church songs, right? Because he says the vo- the, the 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 song of the heart is a, is a prayer unto me. Well, he knows you. He knows your talents. He knows your love. Emma had a love for music. Emma had a a a, a, a talent for music. She had grown up Methodist. The Methodists were uh, known for their musical uh, worship at the time, and so the Lord knows you. He knows your talents. He knows your uh, um, uh, passions, and what, and He wants to be able to use those for the building up of the kingdom. So, what are they? Ask yourself. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you're not clear. Ask the Lord; He'll tell you. And then ask the Lord how you can use that to build up the kingdom. Because music, it's like music. Like what is that? But think about what she did. She put together the first book of hymns. And then at first book of hymns, there were songs that are you know, still favorites. They're the Spirit of God. I know that my Redeemer lives. Redeemer of Israel. How firm a foundation. The Lord used Emma's and her, Emma and her gift and her talent to impact us today, right? And that's, that's even before she was the first president of the, of the Relief Society. That's before the Relief Society was formally organized. She was given this job. Um, so let's, let's jump into a, a bit more of this section. So first one, the, is interesting because the Lord says, all those who receive my gospel are sons and daughters in my kingdom. So this concept of becoming sons and daughters of God, um, is fresh on my mind. I've just been listening to, uh, mere Christianity again. Uh, by C.S. Lewis, and he talks about, you know, what's the difference, like, thought we were all sons of God, I thought we were all daughters of God. Well, yes, we are, but what does it mean to become sons of God? Well, I mean, become, it, mean, it means following his son, Christ, Jesus Christ, and becoming like him, and we are spiritually begotten. You combine that with the gospel doctrine of, of what baptism is, and that we're reborn, and that now we become, we take upon us his name. Check out Mosiah chapter 5, King Benjamin talking about baptism and the baptismal covenant. And it's interesting because there's this concept and this idea that's shared throughout Scripture about sons and daughters of God or of the kingdom, as opposed to um, the sons and daughters of men, those who don't enter covenants, Moses chapter 8, and those who uh, sin and go against the covenant and break the covenants are no longer sons of God or sons of, and daughters of the kingdom, but are called sons of perdition. So this concept of being the posterity uh, of something is is just an interesting uh, thought to me. 
I think it's important to point out verse 7 because he used the word ordained in a different way than we use it. Originally, uh, it was used in a way like that we use the phrase setting apart. And so when she's ordained to this something, she's not being ordained to an office of the priesthood like we would talk about today. Uh, she was being set apart for a calling, set apart. She was elect because she was um, chosen to do, uh, elected to do a certain work. And that comes from something actually Joseph Smith uh, ex- explained. Um, and so just wanted to point out, you know, what the, the use of the word ordained in that verse. And she's also called and ordained to what? To, to exhort the church and to share scriptures and teach. And some people say, well, what does that mean? Because in, you know, the new Testament, Paul says women aren't supposed to speak. So one of the specific places that that's said is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But if you actually read the, first, the whole context of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, just before that, he also tells men not to speak out of turn as well. And so some of the context is taken by, by members of the church and other Christian religions of what Paul was saying. They don't even, they did, it's a few verses before he says women shouldn't speak. He's saying, he's talking about order of things. He's talking about reverence in church and not speaking out of turn. Okay. So that applies to men and women, but also you have to remember that Paul was speaking to a specific group of people. He's talking to people in Corinth who probably were facing a specific thing. There was probably a specific issue that he was addressing where women were speaking out of turn or maybe trying to, uh, you know, supersede the ordained bishop, right. Um, or something happening like that. So, there's this, as we've read this in the Doctrine and Covenants, and as we read all scripture, we have to take into account the context. Who's talking to who? And what's, why are they talking to them? What, what, what's the background? And so you read that in Corinthians, you say, okay, well, this makes a little bit more sense of what Paul might be saying. Why is, why is the Lord speaking to Emma? Who, who's speaking to who? It's the Lord to Emma here. So, if nothing else, even if Paul was saying that, one thing you could say is, well, this supersedes that. Because the Lord's voice supersedes all, right? And so those questions are important. That's one of the reasons I like to talk about the context of each section, because understanding that context helps uh, understand what's going on and understand a, a little bit more and maybe even glean more information and details. Um, verse 16, as I've mentioned, says, this is my voice unto all. So... It's to Emma, and there's some things specifically to Emma. Thou art an elect lady, right? Like, he calls her by name. But what are the things that we can learn? So here's a here's a list of some of the things that um, we can potentially learn. I apologize, I got interrupted um, with some priesthood duties, taking some some on the sacrament. And uh, so I'll try to pick up back where I was, uh, talking about... Um, the things that we can all learn from this section. So first comforting our spouse in affliction, verse five, expounding the scriptures by spirit. We can all do that. Uh, exhorting this church and exhorting, uh, those whom we have stewardship over verse seven, giving time to writing and learning something we can all do. Uh, put laying aside the things of the world, seeking for things of a better world. Uh, Lifting up our voices to sing, 
so that when we when we sing together in a congregation or alone, that we our our voices, our the prayer of our the song of our heart, excuse me, can be a prayer alive unto God. Um, lifting up our heads and rejoicing, cleaving unto our covenants, cleaving unto our covenants. I love that. Uh, continuing in a spirit of meekness. The persecution that was coming, it would be easy to be like Jarrett, right? And have a, a little bit like Peter. They come to get Jesus, and what's your first reaction, Jarrett? Cut off a dude's ear. Probably not the best idea. You know, you feel justified in doing it. You feel justified in defending the faith and defending freedom and principles and righteousness and whatever it is, you've, these the wholesome principles. No, continue in a spirit of meekness. Beware of pride. Let... um and keep the commandments continually. So those are some of the things we can pull out from this section that, although it was given to, to Emma, um, we can learn from. So one of those things um, that I mentioned that we can all learn from is is learning. That's <laughs> funny. Uh, to give time to writing and learning. This was given... so. The wording here is going to be to women because it was given in a women's conference by President Hinckley, but it applies to all. He says, to women of, of today who are old and young, may I suggest that you write, that you keep journals, that you express your thoughts on paper. Writing is a great discipline. It is a tremendous educational effort. It will assist you in various ways and it will bless the lives of many, your families and others. Here's a, here's a, uh, a prophet, Syrian revelator, telling us that if we will write our journals and write our thoughts, it will not. It will bless our lives and many others, now and in the years to come. As you put on paper some of your experiences and some of your musings, in the language of the Revelation, she was to expound scriptures and to exhort the church according as it shall be given thee by my Spirit. What a remarkable charge to her and to all the women of this church. There must be learning, there must be preparation, there must be organization of thought, and there must be an expounding of the scripture. There must be an ex- exhortation to good works as directed by the Holy Spirit. So to close this section, um, one thing I wanted, I thought I'd do is just share a few uh, quotes about the importance of women in the work of the Restoration. President Nelson has said repeatedly that we can't, the work cannot be done without women. Together, we. And so, like in the world today, there's this, you know, just this big to do and conflict about men and women and the role of men and women in equality. But they have a lot of the wrong ideas of equality. Um, I didn't plan to share this, but something that's come to my mind, just because the thoughts of the Lord are so different than the thoughts of the of man in the world, and His ways are are higher and better and holier. Um, so I've mentioned that I'm learning Hebrew, so by no means am I an expert, but. One of the things that we've, we've discussed in, in one of my classes, and actually it's something that I had uh, already learned somewhat before, is uh, the Hebrew origin of, of Eve's name and what it means. Um, so it actually comes from Ezer, um, a Hebrew word Ezer. And so you might recognize this root from like Ebenezer as that's the same Ezer Ezer okay uh the stone that was held up you know, probably you don't know the story very well from the old testament but 
You might know it from the song, Come Thou Fount, Here I Raise My Ebenezer. Um, that's two Hebrew words, Eben and Ezer. Eben is stone, um, and the Ezer is uh, help, stone of help. And this word, Ezer, the Eve ends up coming from this name, uh, it denotes help. And so we read, you know, help meet. And what does that mean? What is the woman's job? What was Eve's job? What was her connection in relation to Adam? A help. So through time, men, wicked men, have misinterpreted that to mean you're my servant. Wrong. In fact, uh, this word Ezer is, is used throughout the Old Testament in a few places. And where it is used mostly is in a time in times of warfare when when the children of Israel are in war. Well, that seems weird, Jarrett. Why is it used in that context? Well, if you hang tight, I'll tell you. Um, it's used because it's used in relation to the Lord delivering and helping the children of Israel doing something for them that they were incapable of doing for themselves. That's the kind of help that this Ezer, the Eve, was to the Adam, to Adam, the man. the, the, the Okay? And so what does that mean? So Adam was here for something, and the Ezer, Eve, was for something else. We, they fit together. The one did something that the other was incapable of doing. The other did something that the other was incapable of doing, but together they complete and create a whole. Equal, but different. And when put together, more than the sum of their parts. That's the kind of help meet that Eve was. That's the kind of help meet that uh, that Emma was for Joseph. That's the kind of role that men and women have together. And in the world, the world wants to make them be the same, but if we are the same, equal, if equal, if equal means the same, then there's something missing that we can't, that we're not lining up, that we're not becoming complete. And so from the very beginning, this word, this name given to Eve and where it comes from in the Hebrew shows us this relation, shows us the importance that men and women have together. So Julie B. Beck said, As the Lord began restoring his church through the prophet Joseph Smith, he again, as he did anciently, included women in his pattern of discipleship. A few months after the church was formally organized, the Lord revealed that Emma Smith was to set apart, be set apart as a leader and teacher in the church. In her calling to help the Lord build his kingdom, she was given instructions on how to increase her faith and personal, personal righteousness. I hope my granddaughters will understand that from the day the gospel began to be restored in this dispensation, the Lord has needed faithful women to participate in His uh, as his disciples. President Nelson said, The women of this dispensation are distinct from the women of any other because of this, this dispensation is distinct from any other. This distinction brings both privileges and responsibilities. In 1979, President Spencer W. Kimball made a profound prophecy about the impact the covenant-keeping women would have on the future of the Lord's Church. He prophesied, Much of the major growth in, that has, is coming to the Church in the last days will come because of the good women of the world will be drawn to the Church in large numbers. 
This will happen to the, to the degree that the women of the church reflect righteousness and articulateness in their lives and to the degree that the women of the church are seen as distinct and different in happy ways from the women of the world. My dear sisters, you are of vital associates during the winding up scene the day of the, uh, the day that President Kimball foresaw is today. You are the women he foresaw. Your virtue, light, love, knowledge, courage, character, faith, and righteousness lives and lives will draw good women of the world along with their families to the church in unprecedented numbers. We, your brother, need your strength, your conversion, your conviction, and your ability to lead, your wisdom, and your voices. The kingdom of God is, is not and cannot be complete without women who make sacred covenants and then keep them. Women who can speak with the power and authority of God. President Packer said, We need women who are organized and women who can organize. We need women with executive ability who can plan and direct and administer. Women who can teach. Women who can speak out. We need women with the gift of discernment who can view the trends in the world and detect those that, however popular, are shallow or dangerous. President Nelson then said, Today let me add that we need women to know how to make important things happen by their faith and who are courageous defenders of morality and families in a sin-sick world. We need women who are devoted to shepherding God's children along the covenant path toward exaltation. Women who know how to receive personal revelation, who understand the power and peace of the temple endowment. Women who know how to call upon the powers of heaven, i.e. priesthood, to protect and strengthen children and families. Women who teach fearlessly. That's from uh, 2015. And so we are all needed and the women are needed, and there's this, I think, new added emphasis and clarity to the role of women in the church, and how they can access the power of the priesthood, and that it isn't separate from them, and how we can all access the power of, of our covenants, which comes from heaven, which comes from the priesthood, which is the priesthood. But it doesn't mean that we have to be the same. It doesn't have, mean that we have to do the same things and fulfill the same roles. To the contrary, from the beginning, the Lord has told us we are different, but we are equal. And that together we create a whole. The world doesn't doesn't see that. The world doesn't say that. And there are so many circles in the world right now that it, if they were to listen to this podcast and listen to me say that, I, you know, I'm going to get canceled. The truth doesn't care. The truth does not care. Men and women are different, but we are all equal in the sight of God. Verse 1, For verily I say unto you, all those who receive my gospel are sons and daughters in my kingdom. We keep the covenants that we've made. We're all, we're all equal. I'm going to end section 25 there and move into section 26. It's just two verses. Two things I want to talk about. Common consent. What does that mean? It means that the Lord wants us to agree to the way we're being uh, led. And so we have a right to object and then to discuss. We don't have a right to object to someone's calling because we don't like them. Why do we have a reason to object? A negative vote would be because we know something that a grievous sin and we might bring it up and the person, you know, maybe hadn't disclosed that and it was grievous enough. And so the calling may need to be retracted. That's, and that's our job and duty. Um, 
but maybe they've maybe it's a sin that they've addressed that they've openly confessed to their bishop and stake president and it's they've been forgiven right and they've, or they and they've gone through the the, the proper penit, repentance channel for that sin okay but it, so but the lord doesn't want us to be led by people that we're we don't want to follow but again it can't just be because we don't like that person and what does it mean to sustain a person well it means not just raising our hand what it means is lifting where we stand speaking well of them and not speaking ill of them raising and boosting them up in front of others so that it is easier for others to overcome uh maybe their dislike for them and to sustain someone means to uplift them to sustain means to do what Aaron and Hur did for Moses as the children of Israel were battling and Joshua was leading them in the ba- a battle against Amalek, Moses, the, the, the children of Israel were, would prevail as long as Moses' arms were uplifted and outstretched. But his arms grew tired and weary. But Aaron and Hur were there uh, and took a stone and put it under Moses. And then they up, helped uh, to uplift his arms. They sustained him. It wasn't their arms that were causing it. It wasn't their their mantle to be the prophet, to be Moses. Their role was to uplift, sustain, and to sustain him. And so it may not be your do- your duty and job to be the bishop or to be the Relief Society president or to be the prophet or to be the primary president or whatever. But it is our role to sustain and uplift those whose, whose mantle it is to do those, to, to perform those duties and callings. At a given time. Um, that's all I want to say really about section 26. It was given, uh, I'll give you, I guess, some, uh, the brief uh, historical background. Um, in July of 1830, it was given to, to Joseph Oliver and John Whitmer um, about just the, the operations of the church, some more information on how to uh, administer, administer uh, the church. Uh, thanks for listening this week. I felt a little jumbled. I apologize if I was. Um, like I said, section 24 really hit me this week. In section 25, there's just so much. Even though it's not a very long section, there's so many things that I found to go through. and um, So I apologize for that. I thank you for your patience and thank you for listening. Uh, best of luck in your study this week, and I hope you'll join me again in the future.